We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast, the greatest gig in the world for anyone to have is mine. I am Mike Cosentino, your host for this episode. Alongside me, my dear friend and yours, Dolomite Dave Martinez is here. Dave, summer is in full swing and we are having a good time as we make our way through July and into August. Yes, we are definitely in the middle of summer. We definitely feel it on our runs. We feel it every time we get into our cars and we have to crank up the AC. Getting up earlier, setting that alarm, making sure that we are out the door nowadays before the sun is up to get some of those cooler temperatures. To your point, it is very hot outdoors. One of the cool things, though, and one of the things that for sure makes this Running City USA, as our friends at the Atlanta Track Club are calling it, is there is no shortage of toughness in this town. There are so many people who are out every morning. There are times when I feel like on the calendar, I'm the only one out there. And I think maybe stereotypically speaking, people would rather go run when it's 38, maybe 40 degrees. But in February, I don't see nearly the same number of Atlantans on my morning run as I do in July. The peach tree's behind us and people are still getting after it. Well, I see people running even in the middle of the afternoon, you know, when in the hottest part of the day, when it's, you know, temperature reaching 95, 98 degrees. Um, I see him in the, in the evenings, uh, running. So, you know, and although Peachtree is over, you know, fall marathon season, half marathon season, it's, it's, the you know, training starts now. It's funny. You mentioned those afternoon and early morning runners. I see the same and I'm always so impressed. I am just diehard about getting my miles in first thing in the morning. And then I see them at four thirty five, five thirty. At night, when the sun is beating down, the asphalt is super hot. Who knows what the smog alert is being is suggesting at that time? It is just something else. But it doesn't matter when you do it. The fact is, you are doing it, and we are doing this. This episode is very, very cool. You're going to meet a friend of ours, Eli Hamner. He is with Back on My Feet. He is an associate member of the advisory board for the Atlanta chapter of Back on My Feet. But more importantly than that, his story is so inspiring and will be one that you will remember for a long, long time. We introduce you to Eli through our conversation. We will tell you here at the onset, it is a story that includes a road that I believe for so many of us is one that would be hard to imagine. Not having a place to live, not knowing where your next meal would come from, having an addiction that is so difficult to overcome and having multiple instances where overcoming it simply did not happen. But wonderfully enough and perfectly for the Run ATL podcast, running steps in and you will see not just how this lifestyle made such an impact on Eli. True transformation changed his life. He is now doing that for others who struggle with addiction. He is an inspiration to D2. He is an inspiration to me. And I believe by the conclusion of this episode, he will be an inspiration to so many others, hopefully to many of you who can play a role in the lives of someone you may be thinking of already who could use an encouraging word. It's not too late. Change is possible. Transformation can happen. So please do not go anywhere. We will be right back with this special story and this wonderful man. Eli Hamner joins us next. The warmer temps are here and it's time to put away the long sleeves. Just in time for the spring and summer, our new Run ATL shirts are here with a large selection of color options and styles, including tanks and tees. Check back often as we've got new styles coming in every month. They're available at all seven Big Peach Running Company locations and online at BigPeachRunningCo.com. 
And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. As D2 and I mentioned in our intro, this is an episode we've been looking forward to because it shows the humanity of this terrific sport and lifestyle that we embrace so much. We can oftentimes feature elite runners. It is certainly fun to discuss details of this lifestyle, whether it be nutrition or injury prevention, whether it be product or certain possibilities that will make us faster or stronger, but nothing is something that D2 and I celebrate more than stories of people who have used this lifestyle for real change, transformation even in their life and in the lives of others. And that is certainly the case today. We mentioned we would have Eli Hamner with us. He is right now in studio. Eli, thank you for being part of this. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Hey, Allison. All right. So there is a mutual friend of ours. That's our first shout out, I think, D2 that we've ever had. Allison, yes, hello, a friend all of us share. Maybe we'll put something in our show notes that will introduce the rest of you (laughs) to our friend Allison. But Eli, your story, I'm not going to tell it, but to ensure that we set the stage properly, your story includes homelessness. It includes drug and alcohol addiction. It includes separation from your family and by your own words, an indication that you were not being who you were meant to be. But your story also wonderfully includes comeback. It includes achievement. Mm. It includes finish lines and it includes probably accomplishments now that at one point you would have never thought even possible. That's even more true. (laughs) That's very true. There are so many people, and we introduced you to a term and a phrase that we use at Big Peach Running Company, what's your excuse? Let's start with what very well could have been your excuse. Take us back to some of those darkest days in your life before the pedestrian active lifestyle was part of who you are. Drug and alcohol addiction. Not knowing where you would wake up or if you would wake up indoors. Set the stage for us. I don't want to sensationalize this, but when we think about excuses that are all too common, I venture to say very comfortably, few of them are as big of an excuse as what you could readily bring to the table. All right. And hello, everyone. I am Elia. I would say to start, the darkest moment would have been in Sacramento, California. I was married. I have a beautiful daughter out there now. And uh, it would have been when my wife and I, we broke up okay. at that time and we split up. And it was based off of drug use and sale at that time. And uh, That you were perpetrating? That you were part of the I drug was, use? I was the- in the ball game, baby. Okay. I was on the field of play. <laughs> and uh, from that separation started a decline and a downward spiral that uh, pretty much had me on the side of... Uh, what was it, I-80 out there in California for over a year with just a backpack and my sleeping bag. And that would have been, I would say, the roughest, darkest time frame because it was all about the hustle when I woke up in order to do anything, to eat, to shower, it doesn't matter, change clothes. I had to hustle my way to it. But when you're hustling from behind, as they would say, that, that wasn't good. So that was uh, one of those moments. And in that moment, the darkest moment was one of those days like today. It's raining in Atlanta and it was pouring down rain in Sacramento. I decided and they still had telephone booths to yes, call my mother. a few years ago. That telephone was a few years booths. ago. For all of you who are under <laughs> 20 years of age, maybe we'll yeah, put you... a picture in our show notes because yeah. you have no idea what, <laughs> what it's like te- to be inside a telephone a booth. A telephone booth outside of Albertsons and uh I called my mom and asked her if I could come home. And she told me, son, you are a man now. You have to stand on your own two feet. And I don't know what was worse, me crying or the rain, but it was pouring that day. And uh, that was a very, very dark moment and dark time in my life. And I didn't feel like I cared or no one else cared about me. And so it was that was low. So you're getting some tough advice, maybe some tough love from your mom. You mentioned before we fired up the mic that you're from Cincinnati. So I might have presumed that your mama, when you're having this phone call, is back in Ohio. You are 
thousands of miles away in California. Thousands of miles away, and she's back home in Cincinnati. And you just, at that point, wanted a slight change of geography. You weren't even looking at the entire lifestyle that you were leading as something that needed to change. So from there, it may not have gotten any darker, but it's not like you immediately found or saw the light. No, not at all. It was just I was in misery. And and that's like anybody that's down and out in misery. You're out in the rain, you want some shelter. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty much how to phrase that moment in my life. I just wanted some shelter. I I didn't necessarily want to change. I liked the party life at that time. It just was tearing me to shreds. Well, and you did have family here in the South. Yeah, sure You had family here in Atlanta. Ultimately, you elected to... Go from California, not to Ohio, but now the great state of Georgia has an opportunity to welcome you. What is your welcome and some of your initial history with Atlanta? Atlanta, one of the things that brought me here was a sister suggesting because I had several family members that were high school peers back in Cincinnati that I come here and they could help me out a lot. And of course, I get to Atlanta I loved Atlanta when I got here. They had a thing called Freaknik people. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to have to find that, too. <laughs> this is a trip down memory lane for it's me, a, D2, because Freaknik, yes, it's a history lesson. From phone booths to Freaknik, that could be the name of an album or perhaps a book. I think Maybe it is, man. Our, ourselves, the, Eli, you and I, look, from man. phone booths to Freaknik. But you get to Atlanta. Obviously, it's the place to be. It's you the get place here to be. mid-90s. It was... Matter of fact, it was December of 95. The city's preparing for the Olympics, so it's buzzing that whole time frame. And the Braves were hot. Matter of fact, that was their World Series year. I remember They that. won that particular year. And so when I first initially got here, Atlanta was on the map. At that time, the radio station was a hot 97.5, Ryan Cameron. And uh, that's before Ludacris was big. He was on the radio. He was just a DJ. And the city was just hopping. There was plenty of employment. I just knew I struck gold. I mean, but uh, there's a saying I have with some friends of mine and some rooms we gather. You take you wherever you go. So you come to Atlanta, and even though it sounds like you don't bring your relationship with your wife here, you don't maybe bring that phone booth in Sacramento, California with you. Some of the shadows of your addiction, some of the substance abuse, that traveled to the Southeast with you. You take that with you wherever you go. And it doesn't matter about geography. I could have went to Cincinnati. It would have went there with me. I could have went to New York. I could have went to Honolulu. It would not have mattered. And so that's the thing that I had to learn to accept. And that that's humbling in itself, but it was a great realization after a while to, to understand that. So you and I get to Atlanta at very similar times. I came in 1994. Also remember to use your term, the city was buzzing because of the Olympics and so many other cool things going on. But our story isn't necessarily the same just because we got here at the same time. Now I know much more about your story as I've had a chance to pour over information about you, but you get here in December of 1995, and even though it is a great place to be and you feel really good about being here, there are some things that as you look back, don't necessarily suggest that you're going to be the person you are right now. So tell us about that first two or five years that you're here and how Eli comes to recognize that, man, I'm in a new place, but I'm not all that different, and I still have, to your point, some of the things that came here with me. That didn't take two years to recognize. It was two minutes, perhaps. Uh, well, once once the party started, once I found out where to get the drugs from, I brought me with me. And so that didn't take long. Uh, we have a saying in the rooms, you could take an addict to the moon, he will find a place to go get high. And so that didn't take long at all. You just look around. All the signs are there in the neighborhoods, wherever you go. You can you can find what you want to find if you look hard enough. And remember, the city's a buzz. So in the first couple of years, it was easy to get work. But uh, it was so much work, you could lose a job and just find another one the next day. So that hadn't yet reared its ugly head as far as I'm going through jobs. But I did have 
uh, family members that were noting that, dude, you like to get drunk a lot, or you come home pretty red-eyed a lot, you know, what's going on with you? And so that didn't take long for them to recognize. It didn't take two to five years. And they were concerned about you. These are family members who they know that you're drinking more than what you would perhaps want anybody if you care about them. Right. They, they recognize the red eyes, and right, that is right. a basically a red flag to them. Right. Oh, it was huge red flag I, because most of the family members were childhood peers. So we went to like elementary school together, high school together. They we've been knowing each other out of the womb, but they cared about you. I get the impression there are a lot of us who have childhood friends, who have people we went to school with, who even have special moments in our life that we share with people we'll never forget. But they're part of the problem. If we're honest, they're part of the problem. They are enabling or perhaps even helping, assisting with the lifestyle that is dangerous or detrimental. Yeah, and that's pretty much a mixed result with that group. Some just shut the door right away. I'm not dealing with you. And and so that went with the territory. But there are the others that seen hope, which at the end of the day, I have to step back and be humbly thankful for that. But they seen the hope in me, yet they still knew they was dealing with someone that had issues. So let me use this as an opportunity because we said at the onset of this show, what we wanted to be able to do was take a what I'm going to already classify, Eli, as a success story. And be able to help those who have an excuse, whether it is one that is as monstrous as what yours is, and find a way to get past it, as we say at Big Peach Running Company, to conquer it. If you think back to some of those people who cared about you in those early stages of being here in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. recognizing the red eyes, recognizing drinking too much, what would you say to that person right now who knows someone like you? How they can connect with someone they care about? how they might be able to set them on a path or at least encourage them to take a step or two in the right direction instead of to continue down a path that is not anything that and perhaps it, makes and sense. that's a great question. It's a delicate situation. It really depends on your individual. Okay. How well you know your individual and how well you love them. In a lot of ways, the one that showed the tough love was just as much to be admired as the person that took me in and just held on. The The problem that exists with the ones that hold on at times is they enable you, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing anyone can do is always consistently show love, but love sometimes is tough. And sometimes you have to take somebody to a shelter and you have to let them sleep there for a while. You have to not let them in your home. And that's that's humbling enough. And you have to not take their phone calls and not give their money. Not that you don't love them, not that you don't want to do that. But as long as they're in that condition, you're showing them, oh, no, I can't accept you in that condition. You change the condition. You are welcome back in this home or around the kids or whatnot. But that That is just something that it comes down to each individual, and you have to know the individual you're dealing with. Well, and we're going to let people get to know you as an individual, and I know for sure that D2 and I are not qualified. We should not trivialize this. It might be really easy on paper to say, well, gosh, somebody comes to us and says, hey, I have a drinking problem, and, and D2 and I would recommend, well, just start throwing mileage at it. <laughs> Substitute some of the abuse with more effort in your fitness routine or what have you. And there's so much in between that recommendation and the challenge. You mentioned a situation that involved your dad and one of these instances that truly was a turning point for you. Yeah, and that's that's great because it kind of speeds up Atlanta because at this point, like I said, within it didn't take two years to realize I brought me with me and my addiction problems. I get to a point where I had a job eight years. Same job. Yeah, I had the okay, job. Excellent. Eight so years. you've got steady employment. Yeah, but that don't let that fool you. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us have steady employment, and we're we're just as bad. We make a check to spend the check. Okay. Before we ever get the check, work with that. But nevertheless, I got fired from that job, of course, behind drugs and alcohol, and. uh I decided at that point, that year was 2013, 
I wanted to go back to school. In order to go back to school, I needed some financial help because I didn't have my ID and I needed to get an ID. But in order to get my driver's license ID, I needed glasses, which I didn't have. And so I called my dad, who never gave me a dime in my life, (laughs) and he decided to send me $200, which is not a lot of money. But when he sent me the $200 and it hit my hand, it was gone by the night. And just to be clear, that $200, your dad's estimation was, was going to be for... Glasses. glasses. It was going to be for fees that were associated with, with a driver's, driver's license, license right. in the state so of Georgia. I only okay. needed $200. And uh, so I spent the money on drugs and alcohol. And um, that was that was a low simply because, I mean, my father had, that was that was love. He was investing in you. And he, he was showing and you love. And he was looking out for his son. And so behind that situation... After running away for a little bit there, I ended up having to call the family back and listen to them admonish me for the behavior. And I knew then I had to do something and to do something I wasn't too sure about. But one of the people I was hanging around with at that time mentioned, hey, man, you ought to go to recovery. You do it through uh, the VA, go to the VA. And I went and called the VA. And uh, sure enough, they had a recovery place I could go to. But I had to go through the hospital, the VA hospital. So I went through that and they examined me to see if I was crazy. I tricked them. They didn't think I was crazy. Good job. (laughs) So you got past that. I got past that. And they sent me to a place called Fox Recovery Center. And it was a secure facility. So you couldn't just walk in there. It was you had to have the uh, you basically was searched, almost strip searched (laughs) to get in. It was a 30 day recovery facility, which I stayed at and I did it successfully. And the case manager I had there, who, uh, you know, I'll just say her name's Holly. She decided that I needed to go to a particular place. I wanted to go to one. (laughs) I wanted to go to one shelter that would allow me to go to school in free movement. She felt I needed to go to a better program, a a longer program. A program that was more intense or was at least longer, um, and you could say more intense, but it was just a lot longer. She felt I needed more time to really recover from drugs and alcohol. I needed more than 30 days. I wasn't ready. She sent me to the Salvation Army. I went kicking and screaming the whole way. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Holly here in a second. First, I want to call out what are two different parallels that your mom and that your dad took. Your mom, when you call from Sacramento says, you got to stand on your own two feet. Right. Tough love. Right. A true statement by her. Right. But tough love. Right. Your dad, who had no history of sending you money, decides to be exceptional in this situation and trust that the money is going to be poured into these things that you indicated you needed to do kind of what your mom indicated, and that was stand on your own, own two, two feet. feet. Right. And by my words, not yours, but I don't think I'm going to go out too far on a limb to say you disappointed him oh, by easy. how you spent that money. Absolutely. We have plenty of listeners. I am one of them. I do listen to this podcast as well. Who is a parent? Mm. I already mentioned that I have some addiction in my family mm. and I have some addiction that we've had to deal with as an employer. Yeah. Who made the right decision in your estimation looking back? Because we wrestle so much when we have somebody we care about. Do we give them the tough love and tell them, Not now, not today. You've got to take care of this like your mom said. Or do we make an exception regularly or just every once in a great while like your dad did and send them a little bit of a lifeline hoping that this might be the time it all changes? What would you counsel us, whether it's as parents, whether it's people who love other people, what would you suggest is the better path? I just totally get the look back from hindsight and say both of them were correct in their moment. Okay. They both were correct for their reasons. My mother at the time, she's saying that for her reason, those were the right words. They just were from her perspective, from where she's sitting. And as time goes on, turns out to be the correct words for me. It brought me to Atlanta. My father's one moment of giving and my weakness in it has become the building block for where I am now. Okay. Because, yes, he was doing something he had never really done with his son or a lot of his children. 
and that was to give. So he took a big risk. And so that was love, but that was a risk that he took only once. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do that anymore. And I don't request anything from him anymore. So both were correct at the time that they did what they did. And both after each time still love the child. But there is behavior. My mom still won't take me in. My mom could take me in now. She wouldn't do it. She would tell me, I'm a man. Stand on your own two feet. My dad will not give me money, but he knows his son is a different son now mm-hmm. than when he first sent money because his son doesn't ask for money. So as a parent, and I have a daughter. I do understand that's very delicate, very sensitive. Again, you have to know the individual, but you only take so many chances before you say no. You you have to have the ability, as my mom showed, as a parent, to show tough love. You have to be able to do that. And then you have to also be as my father and show some care and compassion. So later on down the road, the person, the individual cannot say, well, you didn't love me and you didn't try. That that excuse will not fly Yep, because you did show love. You did show compassion, but that person turned your good to a bad. And so that is why your hand is withdrawn. If they ever change, they may find out that your hand will extend again. But that is based off the person's behavior. Well, and you use the phrase turned their good into bad. So now let's go to this longer program. Mm -hmm. Holly's recommendation involving 90 days as opposed to something that you could get in and out of much quicker. Right away. Take us to that program. This is not a program that you can just say, well, I'll be here a few days and then I've jumped the system and I can figure it out for myself. I mean, where she sent me was to the Salvation Army. At the Salvation Army, they had a program for veterans. The thing about that particular program, if you completed the 90-day drug-free program, drug treatment program, you was rewarded with housing. And so... That was like a, that was a very nice carrot in front of the horse. (laughs) You know, there was a reward at the end. And so I didn't want to go because, again, that was the Salvation Army and I'm not affiliated in any kind of way with their religious beliefs, but it wasn't about religious beliefs and it was restrictive. However, it was probably the best, not probably, it was the best decision that could have been made for a case manager in my case and it turned out to be the ultimate blessing in my life and I went kicking and screaming the whole way (laughs) but it it was a blessing when she sent me there I I had no vision she did and I thank her for that she had vision and I didn't I was I was still and I would have to agree with her I was still in my fog as an addict then I was thinking, my my delusional thinking was 30 days was enough, and it wasn't. It just wasn't. So you said you went in kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming. Tell us how you came out. Well, that is the beauty of the program. In that program, after 30 days, I was allowed to go out of the facility. And that's how I met a group called Back on My Feet, because I just wanted to get out the building, really. I cooped up in there for 30 days. And uh, I met this running group. That's how I met running. And uh, that was beautiful. That, that changed my whole entire life, mindset, anything I can think of. If it was going to be a transformational moment, it happened when I got out there with that group and started running with them that Things changed. Things, my whole outlook on life just totally changed. And that started with running with this group. And I found them through the Salvation Army. So D2, you and I, of course, will comment on this in a number of instances throughout every single year. We'll put the notes, of course, for all of our listeners to learn more. But just as a quick introduction, before I allow you to give us an individual experience with Back on My Feet, Eli, and that is since 2007, Back on My Feet, has been in operation, started in Philadelphia. We've had the good fortune in the past of meeting the founder and certainly some of the initial program directors. We've had the good fortune at Big Peach Running Company to work with them in a couple of different capacities. They now 
operate in 12 major cities across the United States. They have over 100,000 volunteers and supporters and perhaps something that Eli knows far better than what D2 or I could ever imagine. Over 80% of the back on my feet enrollees are also part of a Next Steps program, but it's not just a program to overcome addiction or to push back against homelessness. I think it's really easy to sell the intention of the program short and just think it is for recovering addicts or for those on the street. It is so much more than that, so much more comprehensive than that. So now let's look at it as an individual. You become familiar with Back on My Feet. Take us to the first day you are with a Back on My Feet representative or part of a Back on My Feet program. That is the greatest story on earth. (laughs) (laughs) In our circle at the Salvation Army, Team 26, my first day out there, my very first run, I ran with two beautiful individuals, Katie Griffin and Sonia Collins. And Sonia always gets on me because I always forget that she was there from day one, but she was. You didn't forget live on the Run ATL podcast. There you no, go. She, would, she would have shot me. There. <laughs> she, would, she wouldn't let me live that down. However, what happens is I go on the run. They are running with me that very first day. And we did. We took the three-mile course. And I remember running out of gas, I would say, at about 2.3 miles, maybe, somewhere in there. And I start walking, and those two wouldn't leave me. They both, oh, you did great. You're awesome. And they're just steadily, you know, supporting me, encouraging me, telling me how great that was. And I did real good. And um, we were doing what we call the Georgia Tech route, and we were coming up near Bobby Dodd Stadium. And when I seen it, I knew where I was. I was like, oh, we're not that far. I could still run some more. And uh, we ran back. And from that moment, of that unconditional support show of encouragement, I was hooked. It was like they cared, and there was no strings attached to the care. It was just they cared. We were just three runners out there running. One ran out of breath, and, hey, we're not going to leave you, and we're all going to finish together. And so from that moment, I knew I was coming back, and I knew that, oh, I want to be a part of running again with them again, and I want to show them I can do this, and I wanted to show myself. So it really began to open up my mind as far as trying something new, meeting new people, trying new things, things I never dreamt of doing. And it was a, it was a beautiful moment. Just in that moment, from that run, I was, I was one spirit with two others. I mean, we were just human spirits, and... and We bonded from that. You do not have to be a recovering addict to appreciate the bond that absolutely comes. I'm sure it exists in other lifestyles as well, but from one runner to another or walker or fitness enthusiast or pedestrian active lifestyle liver, D2, you and I could say that when we go on a run. Some of the things that we may talk about or just enjoy about each other or those who are with us. But what we cannot comment on, and this is what I want you to do next, Eli, and that is when we were talking earlier, you mentioned Mm -hmm. why running was so helpful, so instrumental when thinking about the mental, the spiritual, and then ultimately the physical. Mm -hmm. For all of those who know someone, maybe even have the opportunity soon or regularly to speak to someone who has an addiction or an excuse to overcome, Mm -hmm. talk about how running impacted your ability to push back physically into all the harm you had done yourself over all these years. Mm -hmm. California, Georgia, Georgia, when Atlanta was buzzing and it was fun, when it was dangerous and a disappointment to your dad, when it was after a relationship that had gone the wrong direction, when it was part of something that you knew that had to change. Now running steps in Mm -hmm. and truly starts to be an asset to how you can recover. Give us an understanding that, quite frankly, D2 and I have no qualifications. Again, with some of the friends of mine in the rooms I've been in, we look at uh, any recovering addict with this addiction as a three-pronged problem. It's mental, which is what the Salvation Army offered help with mentally. 
case managers dealing with my thought process. It's spiritual, which I always regulate to other individuals to find some type of spiritual connection in their life. And then it's physical, and it's physical because of what we do to our bodies and what we have done to our bodies, and we have harmed our bodies. And when you say we, just we, to be, we, we mean, mean that person who is in this addictive in trap. the addiction. Okay. It, it can go to any human that has bad habits, but definitely addicts, and you one day may want to look up what it does to the body, the chemicals that are in these drugs, the things that it'll do to your body. It destroys it. And by the way, I'm African-American and we all suffer. We are the highest group for blood diseases. Okay. Mainly strokes, high blood pressure, which is another reason why I got into running because it drives it down. And uh, with running, me adopting the running, that helped just totally like health wise with my high blood pressure, which I don't even have to take the medicine anymore, which is amazing. But I love it. From running, it helped with my dieting, though this cheeseburger I have in front of me does not count. I'm going to tell on myself. We weren't going to tell anybody that. But, but I'm going to tell. See what but, an honest, transparent individual we have but here. Those are things that, as a recovering addict, you have to change your habit. Your thinking, the things that you do. And so the tangible part becomes your physical fitness. Because we're addicts and we're agitable and we're really irritated and we need something to do, physical fitness offers that. It, it's only going to help with that portion, but because it helps with that portion, it brings on a certain self-confidence, self-esteem building moment to say, hey, you know, when I run and I'm, I'm in rhythm with this run, man, and I'm alive and I could do this thing, I feel so connected to the world. It's a spiritual uplifting moment to be in a run and just breathing and just feeling healthy and part of this earth. That is something that as addicts, we need. We need to recognize that, oh, we're all right, that it's okay. The earth is okay. I mean, you can run your problems away. You can actually solve a problem with a run. You can, if you're a runner, and anybody that runs know that you can run and run with a friend and discuss a problem and you're five miles into it before you know it and you've solved a problem of life and you come out of it and you and you just feel alive and you feel so much better. So it does with recovery, it does aid the physical body and the the things we've done to our body. And and it's very motivational to know that at first I could not run three miles without quitting. And now I'm five marathons into this. That's just a look back on moment to say, man, I never dreamt of running six miles, let alone five marathons with more on the horizon, riding bikes every day, just to commute and loving it and healthy enough to do it. Those are the moments that, yeah, I mean, that's what physical fitness will do for someone that honestly chooses to recover and take care of their body in the process. And, and that in itself should inspire somebody to say, hey, no, I need to try this. At least try it. At least give it an honest effort to heal yourself. Well, and that's an important thing for those of us who are on the sidelines but can have impact as coaches or mentors or just friends who come alongside. You use the phrase in rhythm, and you also indicated the importance for many programs that work on the mental, on the spiritual, on the physical. And yet you said when you finally connected with running, it really touched on all three. You yeah. had some mental clarity that would not have been possible without the running. You were able to connect spiritually in ways that you wouldn't have if you weren't out for the run. And of course, whether it had to do with just basic levels of fitness or whether it was pushing back against chronic diseases that may have very well been yours because of the addiction or because of heredity, you were able to push back on that. Yeah, I mean, and I'm a runner. I love to run. That's something I never thought I would say. But I've often called one of my sisters at home, my, one of my elder sisters, and tell her, yeah, when I'm running, because I'm encouraging her to walk. And I was like, you know, when you walk, you can say a prayer. When I run, I can say a prayer. Yep. It's real easy to just say a prayer and really be in sync with life and the rhythm. And I use the analogy of um, the races, the, the, a strong man runs a race, as is mentioned in Bible. You know, there's so many different 
correlations between running and even Bible. The, the sun comes out as a strong man to run a race. Those are the types of things that the Bible says about people running. And you, why are they strong? Because you persevere through so many different physical or mental or spiritual ailments during a run. It's hard to explain unless you're doing it, unless you put yourself in a position and say, hey, let me try this. And it, and it should be hard at first, especially if you've never done it. But that's part of the story. That's part of the love. That's part of the achievement. I have too many peers that are at the Salvation Army with me that came out. My buddy Rick comes to mind. He came out on a walker and everyone is looking like this guy's not going to run with us. He has a walker. He managed to get a three miler in. He walked, ran it, but he got a three miler in. Here's a guy that came into a facility with a walker doing a 5K run walking. I watched a guy come in that's in Texas now. Eric, he came in, couldn't run a half a city block. Before he went to Texas, he's running the Atlanta 10 miler in October. And to watch how an individual achieves that and that look on their face that lets them know, hey, I could do this. And if I can do that, then I can achieve in society. I can I can work an honest job. I can be honest. I can make money fair and square. I can pay off a bill. I can, I can. I can quickly becomes a part of your, your thought process, your storyline. Well, the other thing that you said that I thought was really, really cool is you said loving it, that you're running it and loving it. And I think oftentimes it's easy for those of us who know addicts to think, well, they just have to endure it. They have to get by. They have to stay clean today and then work on tomorrow. And it's just a matter of getting through. It's not really loving anything. It's just not making the same mistake today or tomorrow that we did all of our yesterdays. But you are an enthusiastic individual. You have so much zest for life. You obviously use the expression loving it. So you not only are just getting by, I'm going to use the same number you did when you said five marathons. Ladies and gentlemen, that includes the Boston Marathon. He has gone back to his hometown of Cincinnati, not just to visit mom, but also to finish the flying pig. You and I both share multiple trips and finish lines in the great city of Chicago. Chicago. But here's another number five, five years clean, clean and sober, clean and sober, five years, but not just getting through Eli, you're loving it. That is hope. For so many of us, whether we're in it or whether we're observing it and we want to pull someone out of it, what's the key to start loving it? Maybe it's running. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a certain moment in the day. Maybe it's the entirety of life. How do you get from getting by to loving it? The honest truth to that is you actually have to hit a rock bottom. And when you get there, want to live. It's all based on wanting to live. And with a strong enough desire to want to live, you find your reasons, you find your purposes in that. And that becomes a strength. And once you realize, well, wait a minute, if I do this, I love to do this and I want to do this and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to achieve for me, like right now, running, I want to run. So I want to take care of my health. I want to be able to run the Peachtree Road Race. I want to go run another marathon. I want. So that begins to give me a desire, a goal. Well, in order to be able to do these things, I have to then be able to do this first. And so then I'm learning how to organize, prioritize, commit to something, dedicate but one has to almost hit a total abyss, abysmal plains, so to speak, mm-hmm. that very bottom of that ocean yep. where you're down there at the floor with the whales, <laughs> but you realize, I want to be up on the surface. I want to be above the water. That That's when the love comes in, the desire that swim to the top to get that gasp of breath of fresh air. And you get there and you realize how much you appreciate just being there. Then you can begin to love the water. You can begin to love that whale down there. <laughs> though you're not going back. It's you're part like, of the journey. Yes, you stay there. I'm going to swim to land. I'm going to get back on my feet. And I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm going to do my best. So all of us, I think, at that point become even in life where there's that bottom and we hit it. And then we have to really want to live. We have to want to desire something. Purpose has to be there. When you get it, 
you hang on to it, loving life becomes, it just becomes natural. It's, it, it's part of why you breathe. You now have a reason to breathe. And better yet, you have a reason to breathe and a reason why you would stop breathing because you love something and you care that much about it. So I'm going to let you have the final word before we go to break. You obviously have an experience that most of us can't when we come across the Boston Marathon. And there are going to be so many of our listeners who may never have the good fortune of crossing the finish line at the Boston Marathon, maybe ever finishing a marathon. It may be a 5K. It may be a trip around the block. It may be an official race or it may be on a treadmill or on a rowing machine somewhere. But they have every reason to believe, whether it's for themselves or someone they love, accomplishment is possible. Accomplishment is not something that you just think or fantasize about, but you actually, to your point, you get up off that ocean floor, you get out of the Marianas Trench, which I do know is the lowest point on the planet Earth. You get out of the Marianas Trench and you start moving upward. When you get to those finish lines, what is it like? I see a smile on your face right now. When you get to those finish lines, when you have been as low as you have been, when you have come up as far as you have, it doesn't need to be a, I know you'd be the first to say, it doesn't need to be a Boston Marathon finish line. What's it like when you come that far and finally can say, I did it? Take us to a break with what it's like to be Eli Hamner. And what I would say is a living success story. Oh, it's kind of hard to put that into words, but it's a high five. It's a hug. It's a smile. It's a love of life. And really, it's a love of everything around me. Everything that's there, because I didn't finish by myself. You, Anyone that runs a race, you're not there by yourself. And you realize the other humans that are around you and that actually cared about you finishing and cared about you being there. And so when I cross that finish line, I represent I represent what will be, not what can, what will be when you put the effort in. And it's just a love of life, love of crossing that finish line. It's a love. You have to love this. We love this. That is awesome. Eli, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, those are special moments with Eli Hamner. One of the things, D2, you and I knew coming into this and learned and then could say we're not going to keep to ourselves. We need to share this with our listeners. Eli is also a musician. Eli, we are going to take some of your music and allow it to send us all after that special conversation into this break. Do not go anywhere. Enjoy this bed of music. We'll be right back. I love waking up in the morning, looking at the trees and starting, feeling the morning breezes. It's so great to be breathing. I love waking up in the morning, looking at the trees and starting, feeling the morning breezes. It's so great to be alive. I'm so thankful for every sunrise I see. It's hard in the streets and much in the chains and civil rights and we've made few games in the ghetto and the game of war zone. I don't know what's going on, my people seem to write an Indian law and they commit genocide on their own. So why we this way? I really don't know. It's thankful to be alive to see the very next day and so the solitudes as we live on. I pray that. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Injinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles. It doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. Recording. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast, D2. Such a cool episode already, but you and I are not finished before we close with a couple of very cool announcements about what is coming up on the Run ATL Podcast and 
in our future on the calendars. I want to stress to everyone, I know you already know you can find the show notes when these episodes are published, but I'm not going to waste any time whatsoever sharing two links that I believe you should make notes right now. The first is for Back on My Feet, whether it's a donation or whether it is figuring out how you can get involved with Eli and all of his friends in this awesome, awesome program. Simply, you'll want to go to atlanta.backonmyfeet.org. That's atlanta.backonmyfeet.org. You'll be able to find Eli's picture there, as well as all of the terrific things that they are doing every single week of the year. And then for all of us who need inspiration, regardless of what our backstory is, Eli has a blog. It's how we became familiar with him. I would certainly encourage you to learn more about his story for your own well-being, regardless of whether or not your story mirrors his. Here you go. This is something I am going to spell for you because it's not quite as intuitive as that website I just gave you. It is also on the World Wide Web. It is E-L-I-Y-A-H and then runhamner.wordpress.com. That's E-L-I-Y-A-H runhamner.wordpress.com. Of course, this will be in our show notes, D2, but those are places we should be traveling with our fingers because it'll help us travel better miles on our feet. Speaking of which, the calendar, we just got off the belt line. You ran another race where I was on the sidelines working while you were out there <laughs> accumulating mileage. We were on the belt line for the West Side 5K and 8K this past weekend. The largest of that particular race to date. We've heard on occasion some races not necessarily growing. This one grew double digits. So many people had a good time. What did you think of the Beltline? So much progress in just 12 months. And then what did you think of that race? Well, yeah, I mean, the the last time I ran in that part of uh, the Beltline, it, was, it wasn't paved. It was, you know, maybe gravel, dirt for sure, um, and overgrown and, and, you know, I think they had their train tracks removed, but that was about two years ago as part of this kind of a run the ATL, you know, 20 some odd mile loop around the uh, perimeter. And, uh, so yeah, it's, they've done a lot of work out there. It's a relatively flat course. I mean, really, I mean, you're, I can't remember what the elevation change was, but we were talking feet, you know, uh, just a several, several feet. So it was uh, flat. It was fast. I, I had a great time. Uh, you know, humidity was the only thing that I could complain about. It was just, you know, one of those mornings where it was thick, thick and, and, and just, yeah, you could slice it, you know, with, with a knife. Well, we talked about it at the onset. This time of year requires a toughness that thank goodness Atlanta has in spades with all of our runners and walkers that we see on courses like that. For those of you who are just kind of familiar with the Beltline, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our episode with Rob Brauner. He is the executive director of the Atlanta Beltline. We've spoken to him previously. He was out there. Congratulations to all of the finishers alongside you, Dave. Rob and some of his team had everything so well under control. They got a chance to participate. And then we had a bit of a meeting in the back of our Big Peach on Wheels with Rob after the race to talk about how it went. Rob, thank you. He ended up purchasing a pair of shoes from us while he was in there, but it was an awesome scene. Everybody had left and we just had this debrief. And of course, all of us were just over the moon about how many participants and the quality of the event and the enthusiasm of the participants for the work that's been done, just like you referenced on that west side of the Beltline. So that was a special moment for me to be able to be back and hear him and just quite frankly, see Big Peach on wheels, unveiled and revealed in full glory now with people who could come in, could get fit for a pair of shoes, could peruse merchandise, could see the new collections of Run ATL, could play cornhole on our customized cornhole bullets, could listen to the music that we had cranking in the parking lot over there at Lee and White, along with our friends from Monday Night Brewing. So it was a special, special morning for sure. But Big Peach on Wheels, we're not putting it in the garage for another year. We've got events lined up every weekend. The next couple, 
why don't you detail a couple of places where we're going to be between now and the next episode. We have late July and early August, very much with warm temperatures, but us being in special places. So, yeah, I mean, the one that I know for sure we'll be at is uh, the Dirty Spokes uh, Red Top Roaster. So that, once again, it's a trail run. It's, it's uh, you know, so it's up at Red Top Mountain. And, yep, I mean, it'll be hot. Red Top Roaster, I mean, I'm sure, it, you know, it'll be hot. And it'll be humid. Um, but it's a, it should be a good event. And, uh, you know, Big Peach on Wheels will be out there. So if you're looking for uh, last-minute type of needs or, you know, just want to stop by and say hello, check out the vehicle, um, you know, that's one of the races that will be uh, out and about. To, and, uh, and the thing that is so cool, we are our first trail race that will have Big Peach on Wheels. Yep. And I can think of no one better to have a chance to be alongside for a morning than Tim Schroer and his team from Dirty Spokes. For those of you who are familiar with Tim or Dirty Spokes, they are the ones who put on the Red Top Roaster, not surprisingly, at Red Top Mountain State Park. And Tim is such a friend of ours. We're still working on getting him on this podcast, so stay tuned for that in the future. And then D2 August 4th, one of the things that is awesome when you can pull it together is not just an event or a race but a series of them. And the city of Kennesaw has done that. They have put together a series of six events. They've done this for years now. It is our good fortune to partner with them and others who come alongside the city of Kennesaw. Their biggest run of the year typically is the Hero Run. This year, it is the first weekend in August. It is on August 4th, and that will be our outside the perimeter but on road debut for big peach on wheel so if you have not already registered for the red top roaster or the fourth race in the installment of six in the kennesaw grand prix known as the hero run in kennesaw those are two events we would love to see you out so we can introduce you to big peach on wheels and include you in the fun that will happen that morning that's not it, D2. No. It may be hot. The humidity, no doubt about it. It's thick. You said you could cut it. But we're not taking a break on this podcast. Either. We're going to do perhaps our first ever, maybe our only, depending on how it goes, live broadcast for Run ATL. I mentioned Rob Bronner as a previous guest. Another previous guest, actually guests, that are going to be part of this live podcast that we're going to do next month. Let us hear all about it. So it will take place August 14th. It'll be, uh, see, we'll start at 6.30 with a group run at our Brookhaven location. We're going to have Brighton Calpees will be coming back out uh, to join us, and they'll be actually uh, running with the group. And as we mentioned uh, previously, you know, their goal when, we ha- when they were on the podcast was to um, make it to Kona. They have done, you know, several Ironmans. They've done half Ironmans, marathons, every distance you could possibly think of. They have done, and they had petitioned. They had reached out to the uh, Ironman, uh, you know, uh, you know, organizing group, committee, or, yeah, sure. organizing committee, uh, World Triathlon Corporation, I believe, is what their the parent company is called, and um, you know, had had no success. And then when they did the Raleigh half uh, Ironman in early June. Upon crossing the finish line, they were told that, yes, they are indeed in and are going to Kona. Now, along with that, you know, Brent's out there. He's training. He's getting ready. Kyle as well. But that takes a lot of not only physical effort, it takes financial you know, effort as well. So this is a fundraiser. They're in the process of raising you know, uh, funds to get them to Kona. I'm currently looking at their, their Kona page right now. They have a goal of $250,000. They are right now at two thousand, almost eight, two thousand eight hundred dollars. So, so they've got a little ways to go. Yep. At the same time, it's events like what we're going to do on August fourteenth. Again, the group run will begin at six thirty. We'll get back from the group run that Kyle and Brent will join us, and then what we will do is we will introduce, we will serve up a couple of questions that we want all of our listeners to know. We're going to attempt to also put together a Facebook Live. But what we would really, really, really want and ask for everyone to do is join us to come out that evening. We'll have food and beverage. We'll make it a special, special occasion for everyone. But then we want you to ask the questions. Dave and I, we have these featured conversations. They are so much fun. We hope 
very much that you're learning things along the way, that you're inspired by what our featured conversations have to say. But we want you to ask some of the questions. So we're going to put Brent and Kyle on the figurative hot seat and let you ask questions about their training, about what it is that they think about, whether it's during those long miles or just with things that they have to take into account. That'll be at, as D2 said, our town Brookhaven store. Certainly, you're encouraged to come after work. If you get there early, there are plenty of places for you to change, to enjoy some water, to do some stretching. So don't feel like you have to wait until 6.30 to show up, and it will be quite an evening the first time that we're going to do our podcast live. Of course, it will be captured and played at a later date as well. But do not wait for that to happen. Come join us and be part of the fun. I know D2, this is one of our favorite time of year because everybody's out doing it, doing the thing that we love all year long. The other thing that is awesome for us is that calendar as we head into fall. Everybody starts to put races on their own calendar. If that is you, the time to start training is now. I have an event in late September. By the time this podcast airs, I need to be able to say my training is serious. So we hope you can say the same. So, But you will not have to wait long. We will be back with you in just two weeks. So we look forward to that. In the meantime, as we always say, and certainly as we have given you indication, may your best miles be those covered on foot.